Welcome to the 162nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Federal crop insurance was launched by the government in 1938 to provide a basic safety net for farmers facing severe weather catastrophes. And for decades, that's exactly what it did. But a few years ago, Land Stewardship Project members and staff began to notice a troubling trend. The benefits of crop insurance were going mostly to a few major insurance corporations, as well as some of the largest crop producers in the country. The majority of family-sized farms in the U.S. are not benefiting from crop insurance, and in some cases, they're being harmed by it. That's because large crop producers are using the guaranteed profits generated by crop insurance to bid up land prices and pay exorbitant rental rates. This has contributed to an inflated land market, which is making it very difficult for beginning farmers and others to gain access to the acres they need to start farming or expand their enterprises. To make things worse, crop insurance has made it economically viable to plant row crops such as corn and soybeans on land that would normally be considered too wet, steep, or otherwise marginal to raise a profitable crop. The result has been a troubling increase in pastures and other perennial habitats being plowed up and planted to annual row crops resulting in soil erosion levels not seen in decades. Unfortunately, Congress has now made crop insurance the largest government agricultural program in the country, meaning its tax-funded price tag and its negative impacts in farm country are growing at a troubling rate. This situation prompted the Land Stewardship Project to launch an initiative that is examining the impacts crop insurance is having on family farms, the land, and rural communities. During 2014, we combed through government data and conducted first-person interviews with farmers. The result was a series of three white papers, which we released in November and December of that year. The project, called Crop Insurance, How a Safety Net Became a Farm Policy Disaster, examined everything from how large insurance corporations are profiting from this publicly funded program to how some of the biggest crop producers in the country are gobbling up the majority of benefits. Finally, LSP analyzed the impacts crop insurance is having on the ability of beginning farmers to gain access to land and capital. We used these reports to develop a list of proposals for reforming the program and making it the basic, accountable safety net all farmers need. I recently talked to Sarah Clausen and Darwin Bach about crop insurance. Clausen, an LSP organizer, is one of the authors of the White Paper series, and she conducted extensive interviews with farmers for the project. Bach, who raises corn and soybeans in southwestern Minnesota, is on LSP's Federal Farm Policy Committee. When I visited Bach's farm, he described some of the ways crop insurance has impacted what crops are raised and what land is plowed up. He also described the negative impacts this is having on farmers, the land, and his community. Uh, We've seen a lot less small grains being grown out here now. Corn is uh, by far the most profitable crop. Uh, and we also have the largest revenue guarantees on that crop then. So that we've seen a big shift of acres into corn production. When we see the high, high margins that are available in grain production and the guarantees that crop insurance provides for that production, we see farmers not just using having crop insurance available as a safety net but as an income guarantee. And that's driving producers who are expansion-minded, allowing them to pursue more land. And the larger you get, the larger your profits, the more uh, capital is available to continue to grow. The biggest issues that are affecting the more sensitive land and also also ties in with the beginning farmers, and I think that's a provision that allows us to use our 
proven yields on existing farms and transferring those yields to new land, whether that land is productive or not. Also, it puts beginning farmer who doesn't have a proven yield history at a disadvantage because he has to use a county yield, which is typically much lower than what uh, our proven yields are. And that affects everything from, you know, the fact that they can't uh, bid as high for that land to the lender looks at that too, don't they? They kind of say, well, you're not guaranteed that amount of money. Yeah, it puts them uh, from a lending lender standpoint a much greater risk to them as to being able to repay their loans. So it's a little harder for them to get capital, and it certainly puts them at a greater risk if they do want to get into the the rental land market. Yeah, crop insurance was originally looked at as a safety net for farmers in times of disaster and low production. When there were changes made that allowed revenue insurance that brought the price guarantees into into the equation, it was still a good thing. But as we've seen prices ratchet up on the commodities, we've seen it morph from just a safety net into a tool that can guarantee incomes. And anytime you guarantee, guarantee incomes, you encourage bad behavior, and I think we're seeing some of that. Next, Clausen explained why reforming crop insurance is a priority for LSP and why it should be a priority for the non-farming public. Well, I think it really came from conversations with farming members of ours and talking about talking with beginning farmers about why they're struggling to find adequate access to land that they need to get started and you know more experienced farmers talking with them about um, do they have the amount of land that they really need to to keep going um, and just what are some of the struggles they're facing right now and it all a lot of it comes down to um, the enormous amount of resources that are being spent to support one kind of agriculture, real industrial production of crops in this region, corn and soybeans, um, at the expense of kind of support for for anybody else. Right now, crop insurance is the largest federal farm program um, by dollars, uh, so it's a lot of money going to this program, and it's not having the effect that it was intended to have. It was intended to be a safety net for all farmers. Um, instead, it's really turned into something that funnels dollars to insurance corporations and, and the biggest of the big, those largest agricultural producers, instead of providing a real common-sense safety net for all farmers who seek it, which is what it really should be. Part, a major part of this, this kind of investigation was you did a lot of interviews with farmers, beginning farmers, and I think established farmers as well, farmers who are using the crop insurance program. I was wondering if you could just give us some, some common themes that came up, both from the beginning farmers and the established farmers when talking about crop insurance and some of its impacts. Yeah, well, one common theme was that you know a safety net makes sense. You know, It's important to have a safety net in agriculture. It's important that the federal government plays a role in that. It's kind of in our in all of our self-interest um, to have that. But what we have now, you know, it virtually ensures a profit in years when prices are high. You know, there's kind of this paradox where it ensures a profit when when a farmer might not need that extra insurance, and it doesn't do a lot to support them in years when prices are low, when they might really need that support. So that that kind of paradox of crop insurance is one theme. Another theme was just that there are no limits on the program right now. There's there's no limit to the amount of money 
uh, producer can get. So, you know, say that they already made several million dollars that year, they may still get a check for crop insurance um, if they don't need it. So a need for some common sense payment limits, limits on how much somebody can get based on their adjusted gross income for that year, that was a real common theme. And I think for beginning farmers, it is hurtful or challenging to them in a couple of ways. One is that it really drives the price of land up. When a large operation knows that they're going to get a certain amount of profit per acre, they're able to really bid up the price of land or, or you know, bid up rental rates to a place where, uh, you know, a beginning farmer just getting in or just a smaller operation who just has a little bit less to play with, um, they're really out of out of luck. So that's one huge problem. Another problem is that beginning farmers, um, they face, you know, they don't get as much of that safety net. So unless you have three years of yield history, a beginning farmer needs, has to take a percentage. Right now it's 80% of, of the county yield history, which just means that they get much less of a guarantee, much less of a safety net in some of those years when, you know, they might need the safety net the most. And that affects their ability to get capital you know, to walk into a bank, they're, they're just guaranteed much less income. That's kind of the beginning farmer aspect of it. And then for, with, you know, stewardship of the land, uh, the way crop insurance is set up right now, uh, it really discourages more diverse um, cropping operations, things like more diverse crop rotations or growing small grains. It's just much harder to, it's not impossible, <laughs> but it's much harder to ensure those crops. And so, you know, you'll see farmers deciding not to do those rotations or, you know, to grow corn on corn on corn instead of, you know, even rotating corn and soybeans because they can get so much more insurance for corn. In addition, I think it's it's pushing production of corn and soybeans on really marginal acres that might not otherwise be worth putting into row crops, but because um, folks can insure a certain number of dollars per acre. There's no reason not to put those marginal acres into into production. So, you know, it comes down to what is this program encouraging? <laughs> and it's not encouraging real responsible risk management with use of crop rotation or just deciding not to farm some of those risky acres. Sarah, one of the things that happened in the 2014 Farm Bill was that promoters of business as usual agreed to basically drop direct commodity payments, which had long promoted kind of this monocultural system of corn and beans and and a handful of other row crops, and instead enlarged the crop insurance program significantly. And so now that pretty much replaces the direct payment system. They argued that that was more of a strategy to direct agriculture into more of a market-based system and would be less reliant on taxpayer dollars. That's not really the situation that we have, is it? Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, this program is hugely expensive, and it's grown when other programs like CSP, other conservation programs, and have been cut. So it's really, it's been grown quite a bit. It cost $58.7 billion um, from 2003 to 2012, um, and it's projected to grow. It's projected to cost $90 $90 billion over the next 10 years. So we're looking at a really huge amount of money. And, you know, I think it's supported by the public in a number of ways. I mean, producers' premiums are subsidized by the federal government 
around 62%. Um, that's what it was, I believe, in 2012. Um, so that's a big public subsidy that's going to these producer premiums. Another way that the public subsidizes crop insurance um, is by providing really hefty reimbursements to the private corporations who really administer crop insurance. So the USDA works with, um, I believe it's 19 private corporations to who, who really deliver the insurance product, um, and they are really guaranteed profits. They do that by um, kind of offloading the riskiest policies to the federal government, and then also the federal government gives them reimbursements for their administrative costs. So a lot of those public dollars are going straight to private corporations like Wells Fargo um, and ADM and John Deere, as well as going to subsidize those premiums. That last point you made about how, how much money the, the public invests in this program um, really is a good argument for making it more accountable. And, you know, one of the things you can look at is a lot of tax money goes into this, into a program that has, that was, when it was started in the 1930s, had this basic good idea, which was provide a basic safety net. But there's a lot of money going in. It's not being accountable. It's going into some of the, going into the hands of some of the biggest crop producers in the country and some of the biggest insurance companies in the country. And in some ways, the taxpayer is paying twice. They're paying that money up front, but then they're paying for the impacts. For example, more soil erosion and not being able to to have as vibrant rural communities because beginning farmers can't get established. It, it seems like that that would give maybe the general public even more incentive to really call for reforms to this program. Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line of why we decided to work on crop insurance is that, you know, we want to make sure that public dollars are being spent for the public good. And based on all these conversations with our members, the public good is described by um, a situation where beginning farmers can get started, where family farmers can thrive for a long time, and the land is, is stewarded and that there's a strong you know, diverse agricultural economy. Um, and what we're seeing now is it's not working. It's that these dollars are not going to, to support that kind of system. And so one reason we're highlighting crop insurance, it's exactly what you were mentioning before, Brian, around um, the commodity subsidies. You know, that money was being spent in commodity subsidies. It's really been shifted to crop insurance. And it might be called by another name in the future. Um, but our role as... Um, you know, citizens is to hold um, our government accountable for spending those public dollars in the public interest. And so that's really what we're trying to do through these crop insurance papers um, is, is point in the direction of reform of how it really needs to be better um, so that that all of America's farmers are served and people who aren't farmers but who are affected by the food and farming system, they are also served. <laughs> For more information on LSP's work related to federal crop insurance, see the Crop Insurance, How a Safety Net Became a Farm Policy Disaster section at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, 
Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.